kabar? Welcome to the Indonesia Saga with Feet A podcast talking crap about Indonesia from facts, culture, fun stories, news, travel tips, or just things Created and produced by Indonesian from Indonesia, just for you, wherever you are My name is Fee. this is episode 2 Is Indonesia a poor country? Another not so positive stereotype about Indonesia. How do you know that Indonesia is a poor country? Or how do you define a poor country itself? Perhaps you've booked your vacay to Bali with a very cheap price and you think that the average cost of living is low. Or maybe you see photos of Indonesian children starving on the internet and you think the place they live in is so bad. Well, let's check out the hepatitis. It's very often I hear people underestimate Asians, especially Southeast Asians. You think a country with a foreign name you've never or rarely heard is a poor country? I would disagree with that. We just lack coverage, okay? Southeast Asia has indeed suffered a lot after World War II. Yet, many things have been developing as well, including in Indonesia. The new order regime was a new like for Indonesia's economy. How do you know this, Faye? You were not even born yet. Haha. <laughs> yes, but us, the millennial generation, has internet and eyewitnesses from the boomer generation account. So don't worry. That time, the president brought back Indonesia to the international stage by joining IMF. World Bank and the UN. Things that were cut off by the previous president, though very critical to the country's economy. Closer to his end of presidency in around 1997, the economy grew relatively high, averaging from 6 to 7 percent. But 1997 until 98 was not only about economic glory. I belong to the unlucky generation who was born in the middle of chaos that happened in that period of time. Just like our new generation who came to the world in the midst of Covid tech, right? Some of my foreign colleagues believed that Indonesia was a poor country, but not until they visited the country. Struck by the beauty of Bali and mesmerized by the charm of Jakarta. Although some of them did not know Bali was part of Indonesia before they came to the country. Yet, I did not deny nor accept that stereotype. The truth is, I still see poverty in my country. Even before COVID attack, you can still find slum areas even in the urban cities like Jakarta. Families live in a cart on the street, children scavenge for plastic bottles, or have street performance in costumes on the street instead of going to school. That's basically a view that you can easily find in Indonesian big cities, especially Jakarta. Do you also know that rupiah, Indonesia's currency, is one of the lowest currencies in the world? One US dollar is equal to around 14,000 rupiah. That amount of money can get you a full plate of rice, one protein, and a glass of water or iced tea that sometimes are even given for free at a down-to-earth small restaurant. 
friendly Indonesian, remember? So, let's go back in time to the year when I was born and the year after that. Indonesia once suffered the darkest era of its economy. The monetary crisis in 1997-98, where one US dollar valued to 16,800 rupiah. Companies collapsed due to being failed paying over the debt, people lost their jobs, and the price of commodities rocketed, just like any other country. Until today, sadly for me, Indonesia is still one of the developing countries, a big emerging low-middle-income country to be exact. UNDP has predicted that Indonesia will have a rising middle class up to 135 million people by 2020, yet inequality will be its major challenge. Well, I believe that once again COVID changes the plan. Now, not the inequality but the rising middle class prediction. The World Bank reviewed that the country has been making major changes to reduce poverty in 1999 by cutting it half to 9.4% in 2019. But in reality, many people hardly have access to basic services. Reality hurts, doesn't it? Education for children in rural areas is one example. While the internet has become a basic need for the world, some people in Indonesia do not even have access to electricity, let alone the internet. The funny thing is, internet access has been a significant topic of conversations in Indonesia since COVID takes over the world and life switches to online. Students now spend half of their time in front of the screen studying. Seems normal, right? It is, but for your country, not only does the internet network not exist in some areas, but also the cost of purchasing more internet data is a burden for some students in Indonesia. Not to mention that not all students, notably those who come from lower middle income families, cannot afford equipment for online learning like computers or smartphones. Even if they are lucky enough to have one, some students and parents do not have enough knowledge on how to use the technology for online learning. Meanwhile, others have no one at home to guide them because the parents have work to do. For some, it was maybe their first time using Google Meet or Zoom. Well, it was my first time too using Zoom especially. They too did not understand really well how to use learning system management like Google Classroom. So how do these parents assist their children living in this digital era then? Your smartphones are not only for YouTube or Mario Kart kids. It doesn't matter where our fingers should point at, but we should agree that we can't let our future generations, whose future already threatened, fall in the trap of negativity of the internet or be left out due to incapacity to adapt to the digital interconnected world. At some point, home quarantine is not so bad. Don't you think so? In fact, it sheds some light on us. Parents have a chance to get to know their children better and spend the time together. Me too. 
my mind opens up to the ideas I never thought of before, like making this podcast, for instance. Let me give you an example. My neighbor is a family of two children in elementary school and junior high school. They do not have computers and merely rely on the parents' phones. Since the father works all day, only her mother's phone can be used at home for online learning. That too has to be used alternately for the two children. It's just one of the many problems from online learning in Indonesia. I just found a story on the internet where a boy wanted to sell his chicken to buy a smartphone. Well, only one chicken, okay. Therefore, people made donations to help him instead of selling his beloved chicken. There are also cases where teachers have to visit the beloved, has to visit the beloved students' homes one by one to distribute school material or exam papers which should be accessible online. Why? Because the students have, again, limitations to access the internet. Hence, in responding to this problem, the Ministry of Culture and Education of Indonesia has finally agreed to provide subsidized internet data to not only students, but also to teachers and lecturers in university, at least until the end of this year. In spite of our difficulties, Indonesia at some point succeeded in making an economic achievement in the international stage. I mean, before the pandemic, of course. Based on Satista, in 2019, Indonesia's GDP is the 16th largest in the world, leading the Netherlands, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Switzerland. It scores Indonesia a seat in a prestigious international forum of the G20. The World Bank also stated, Despite global volatility, Indonesia's economy has grown at a consistent pace with quarterly GDP growth remaining between 4.9 to 5.3 over the past three and a half years. I'm not really sure how to take the news. This development has triggered the US to remove Indonesia from the developing country list in February 2020. So, it means that now we're something in the eyes of the US, like a developed country? Really? Am I proud? Maybe yes. Or it's just a political game? That's more like it for me. The US reasoned that Indonesia has a total share of world trade, 0.9%, and holds a membership of G20. The two important criteria they are enough to take away the privilege of CVD tariffs. In case you don't know about the G20, it is an international forum where the members cover 80% of the world's economic output, two-thirds of the global population, and three-quarters of international trade. That makes Indonesia the only representative from Southeast Asia. I guess. It makes sense looking at how big the population is, and so are the economic activities. As the largest economy in Southeast Asia, Indonesia has varied kinds of prime export commodities. In fact, its export is the 24th largest in the world, with palm oil as the top commodity export, followed by coal briquettes, petroleum gas, 
copper one, and gold. Palm oil has been the core economy for Indonesia for a very, very long time, you know? Your snacks, shampoo, cosmetics, or detergent may be made of palm oil from Indonesia. Based on Statista, Indonesia is still leading the export of palm oil in the world. It brought profit of 19 billion US dollars in 2019, according to the Palm Oil Entrepreneur Association of Indonesia. China is still a very a favorite destination of our commodities. Every country's favorite, right? Maybe not the US though. You know why. Other our main partners are the USA, Japan, Singapore, and India. I can say that Singapore is the second home of Indonesians. It's like a weekend getaway, hometown, and first stop for vacation. For first-time abroad travelers, Singapore is close and the travel cost is very affordable. Well, I know this fact because I worked as a travel consultant beforehand. Whenever I travel to Singapore, I can easily spot Indonesians on the road. It's very easy to, to spot them. The fact is, in 2016, Indonesians touched their assets in Singapore as much as 200 billion US dollars, around 80% of total overseas assets. That's a crazy number, isn't it? So, that's how thick our blood with Singapore is. If you have visited Bali and other Indonesian cities, you must have realized how beautiful the country is. That's why tourism is our superior industry and almost overtakes palm oil. It contributes to 5.5% of the country's GDP and generated 270 trillion rupiah in 2019, for God's sake. God. Well, last year, more than 16 million international tourists visited Indonesia, according to the Central Statistical Agency of Indonesia. Mostly came from Malaysia, China, and of course, Singapore. Oh, wait, that's why I often passed Chinese and Malaysian tourists in Bali since my several last visit. Anyway, the numbers surpassed the previous year, yet below the 2019 target of 20 million tourists. Despite the more potential of nature and culture that we have, Indonesia is yet bit down by our neighboring countries. Sad, but it's true. Like Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, and Singapore, they are leading the tourism in Southeast Asia. Sounds arrogant, but it's true. I mean, we have so much more destinations to discover. Indonesia has to be satisfied with only fifth place in the in the ASEAN region. Indonesia has a big dream ahead to be the fifth biggest GDP in the world by 2045. To arrive at this point, one key movement made is infrastructure development as the foundation to attract more investment to the country. Well, we're still on the 73rd on the east of doing business index by the World Bank in 2019 and trimming to be the f- in the fourth, 40th place. God. 
Still, lingerie need to attract more investments. Even for myself, as an Indonesian, it is quite difficult to build a business that has a legal status here. One word. Difficult bureaucracy. Oh, no, sorry. That's two words. So, yeah. Our government really likes tons of paper. And the tax administration can be more difficult than it already is. Thank God that the government has proposed some deregulation programs from fiscal to organizational bureaucracy. Plus, we can see the infrastructure development going on for roads, airports, ports, railway, housing, even dams and venues for the Asian Games 2018. Not all people like the idea though. As the infrastructure development is accelerated, it puts more weight on the national budget countries tapped. It's still fresh on my mind when the announcement of a high-speed rail project made headlines in the media. Not only because its prowess, it also provoked debates over its development from debt from China and land acquisition. You know, recently, Indonesia is also facing one of the monumental political instability due to the endorsement of a new job bill. You may have heard it on your local media since it's going around the world. So, not only is the formulation is in question, but also the rush to pass it is leery, especially in a COVID moment like this, when recession is looming in the country. The job bill is proposed by the government to simplify the regulations for doing business in Indonesia and hoping to attract more visitors to the country. However, some of the articles of the law are seen abandoning the welfare of Indonesian laborers from cutting the severance pay and mandatory leave, longer work hours, elimination of minimum wage, and the ease of recruiting foreign workers to the country, plus exploitative job contracts. Protests took over throughout the country, even it's still going on to Till this day. Bigger furious propagation is surely undeniable with more economic impacts. But here's the thing why you should invest in Indonesia. Diverse natural resources, big market with young, large and burgeoning population, low-cost labor, and surely strategic location. This Asian miracle emerged from the darkest financial crisis in the 1990s and developed to become the greatest economy in a decade. If we could survive that, we can conquer this COVID. Optimism first, right? (laughs) It is true that our economy has fallen like never before during the pandemic. For the unfortunate ones, they only have two options every single second. Die of virus or die of hunger. That is why the number of cases hasn't shown any sign of decreasing. The mobility is still high, so is the ignorance of health protocols. However, Indonesia will come out stronger and be able to restore the economy. What's the catch fee? First. 
The capability of Indonesians to adapt to digital technology is a potential to grow the country's manufacturer for advanced data analysis, automation, machine learning, and other new technologies. Research also discovered that during the pandemic, the preference of people toward local goods has increased. As the most dependent need during the quarantine, the entertainment industry, notably online content platforms, creates a motivation to produce more local contents to meet the demand. Lastly, we should not forget tourism. Who's ready to travel again? Me, of course! So, yes, the pandemic has taught us more about product safety and the environment. Not the best one yet, but the practice makes perfect. Thank you for getting to know Indonesia. If you like our content, share the podcast or tell your friend about it. Check out our site on theindonesiasaga.com and Facebook page at The Indonesia Saga with V. Do you want more of Indonesia? Stay tuned with us for more exciting topics about Indonesia. Until the next... Until the next episode, how does it feel to live in the biggest Muslim country in the world? Terima kasih, and sampai jumpa. P.S. Sorry for my blabbering. Thank you.